It is so good to be here this morning. It's like a family reunion for me. Brother Charles talked about all those hugs, and man, I've been getting my share of hugs since I walked in the door, and we are family. No matter where we're at, we are the family of God, so it is a reunion, right? We have some awesome youth that I see at school all the time over here worshiping God. Look at that. Amen. Um, We have some amazing mothers in the room, some matriarchs. Heads of their household, we wouldn't call them a tribe today, right? Like back in the Old Testament, but it's the heads of their household. And even if you're not a mother, per se, you've given birth to a child, um, there are, there's the act of matriarchy, where we practice being a powerful woman of God, a mother-type figure. And I have some of those in the room this morning, too. So we're going to, and actually matriarch means um, Latin, it's Latin for mother too. So this morning, um, months ago, the Lord started stirring a word in me as soon as um, I accepted the challenge to come here. And um, it was about the matriarchs. There are matriarchs in the Bible, but you can't really look at the matriarchs unless you look at the patriarchs. And you're going to recognize these patriarchal names when I say them, if that's correct, I don't know. But um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you know that quote that everyone says, behind every great man is a great woman. Or some people would say beside, right? There's some, some quotes out there. Um, but we have, um, we're gonna be focusing on one of those matriarchs of our faith today, and her name is Sarah. And Sarah is mentioned in, the, in Hebrews, in the Hall of Faith. Man, what a mighty woman, we would say, right? But when you look at her story, it's gonna be an encouragement to us all, because her story, it says in Hebrews that Sarah herself, even Sarah, even Sarah, is mentioned in the hall of faith, being a a woman of God, even Sarah. And we're gonna come back to that as we look at Sarah this morning because um, we, we are a lot like her. Men and women can be a lot like her when you hear her story. So we're gonna look at her this morning and um, we have to first get a little background, a little history, because we have to know where Sarah came from, right? Like who were her people, all right? Because that, that matters to this story. So we have, um, in the Old Testament, in the book of, in Genesis, we have a story. We all know that Adam and Eve fell. They ruined what was going on in the garden. They were walking with God. They fell. And we have um, God, you know, coming to their rescue. And and then years and generations later, there's wickedness. Because God said that in the, the, the inner man, in our heart, it's wicked. And from our youth, we will act wickedly. So um, we know that he decides to flood the earth. And he picks Noah, who was a, a righteous man, to build a boat, right, to rescue um, people and animals, um, and the flood occurs. And God still sees, looks down on man, and he's like, man, I'm never going to do that again, right? Because um, men are still man, right? We're created in the image of God, but we don't always act like it, do we? So um, wickedness starts to flourish again. Um, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And what we need to know is that um, these three sons, there was an incident after the flood, and um, two of the sons actually covered their father Noah um, when he had gotten drunken. So even Noah wasn't a perfect man. He got drunk after the flood, and, and his, his son um, Ham decides not like, to kind of like, point it out to his brothers, you know, look at, you know, look at our father. But the other two cover him, and a, a blessing came upon the two that covered their father. And the blessing said that, you know, it was basically um, saying that he would, you know, bless them and that they would rule over Canaan, the promised land. 
and, and Abraham comes from the line of Shem. So he already had in his DNA, in his background, in his lineage, he already had it spoken over him that he would rule over Canaan. Now, I don't know that he knew all of those details, but you have to wonder because in ancient cultures, they didn't have books and you know, things like that. So they passed the stories down through oral tradition. So years and generations have passed and Shem has a son named Terah and he's living in Ur of the Chaldeans and, and Ur is a place, it's named after a moon god. So you have to understand that in this culture, in this culture it was normal to worship a lot of gods. They even lived in a place named after another god but somehow, um, and, and Terah loses one of his sons, Haran, and, and he picks up um, Haran's son Lot, Abraham and Sarah and all their possessions, and he moves them to this place called Haran. Now, in all of my study, it's kind of weird to me, and I don't believe God has um, coincidences, but it's weird that the son that died, Terah's son that died, is actually has the same name as the city that he moves to. And we'll see that Abraham's father never left that city. He ends up um, being buried there. But there was a man named Abraham who went with him, his son, and Abraham gets a word from the Lord. And this is amazing, this is miraculous, because how in the world, raised in a culture like that, do you get a word from the Lord and know that it's the one and only true God, unless God reveals that to you? So maybe he did hear those stories. Maybe he did hear he was supposed to rule over Canaan. Maybe he did have, you know, they, they probably looked at their culture and then they said there has to be more. There has to be more than worshiping all these gods, right? But, but Abraham heard the voice of the Lord. Now right before he leaves, we meet Sarah. Her name was not Sarah at the time. Her name was Sarai. And Sarai, this is what it says. We're gonna look at Genesis chapter 11, the very end. For those who are turning there, or if you have your Bible, on your phone, right? Um, Genesis chapter 11, verse 30 is the first time that we meet Sarai. And Sarai, it says this about her. It says that she, that Abraham takes then, she was barren and she had no children. She was barren and she had no children. This is what defined her. That word of the Lord that we got a few minutes ago, you know, this goes so perfectly with that because she was defined by her barrenness. Now her name meant my princess, but when you introduce her as a barren woman, now in that culture, being a mother, being able to birth children, um, mighty warriors in the hands, right, arrows in the hands of their, their, their father, um, that was a big deal, because what other things could a woman really do? It's still a great big deal, but in our culture, we don't always um, emphasize it as much as they did in their culture. But man, the one thing that she should have been able to do she was considered an utter failure in the eyes of culture, in the eyes of society. She's defined by that. She's defined by her failure. And then her husband gets a word from the Lord, Genesis 12, one through three. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Give up everything. Go for me for my sake. Sound familiar? To the land I will show you a promised land, a physical land of Canaan, but a land that I will show you, a promised land. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I promise you some seed. 
Not only do I promise you a promised land, but I give you a promised seed. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse you. I'm gonna take care of you. Now, interesting, when Sarah, or Sarai is introduced, she's not introduced as Tara's daughter. She's introduced, so her name also means Abram's wife. So we all know from Genesis, um, the very beginning of Genesis, that man and woman, once they get married, they become one. And in this scripture, really, this is for Sarah, Sarai too, this blessing. But does she fully grasp that? I'm not sure. Maybe a surge of hope rised up on the inside of her. Have you ever been facing something difficult, right? And you get a little surge of hope that something's about to change, you know? And maybe this is what she was feeling like. Oh, man, you know, I've heard these stories about this mighty God. And yeah, I'm, div- I'm, I'm barren. But man, do you, this promise that my husband got, you know, this great promise, you know, maybe there's hope, you know? Maybe there's hope for me. Or maybe it was just a slap in the face, like, oh, my goodness. Like, the one, like, seriously, How am I supposed to do this? I'm barren. But she goes with him. It doesn't even say if she wanted to go. We know, we know, we can can try to think of a lot of things, like what do we not know about Sarah? We could probably figure out more that we didn't know about her than we did know about her. Okay, that's the only thing we know so far is that she's barren. Um, We do know she's Abraham's half-sister. They have the same father. We don't do that today, yeah. Um, <laughs> but she had, um, she was half, half, his half sister, and um, we know that they had possessions. They were lacking nothing, and we know that she's a beautiful woman. Even in her 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, she's considered a beautiful woman. But man, her beauty could do nothing to change her barrenness, to change her situation. Her wealth could do nothing to change her situation, to change probably the desperate. She probably just wanted to hold a little baby in her arms. She couldn't see the big picture. She just wanted to be a mother, a matriarch of her family. But she's defined by her barrenness. But we know she's beautiful. They leave their home, and despite whether she wanted to go or not, she went. And sometimes we have to do that, right? Sometimes we might not want to go. We don't know if she wanted to go. We really don't. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. We don't see any of her personal dialogue. We don't see her thoughts or feelings, because sometimes those just don't matter. So she decides to go with her husband, which I don't know if she decided, but she went with her husband, and she was where she needed to be, even though her situation looked desperate. And we know they had possessions, but we know that they go through some hard times, like all of us do. They went through a famine. And so as a result of that, they have to go to Egypt. And we know that she's beautiful, because this is what Abraham says in chapter 12. When Sarai was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know that you're a beautiful woman in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you're my sister. Now there's a half-truth there, right? Say you're my sister. Abraham, even the great man of faith that defines us, the patriarch of our faith, even he got caught up in his fear And fear will paralyze you and make you do crazy, ridiculous things, think crazy, ridiculous things. He already had the blessing of the Lord. He already had the protection of the Lord. It was part of the original word. And yet here he goes and does something crazy and almost gives his wife to another man. But the story is God does what he said he's gonna do in spite of them. 
in spite of um, them lying, in spite of fear, and God um, blesses those who bless them and curses those who curse them. So this, these troubles fall upon um, the house of Pharaoh, and um, they end up leaving better than they they were when they got there. They have more possessions, right? More things that they're taking with them. Um, but because of Sarai, that's what it says in the Bible, because of her, all this harm befell them. So everywhere she goes, she's bringing, you know, she probably feels like that, you know, that she's bringing this trouble, but really it was the Lord's protection, you know, upon her life. So we know that she went. There's a lot we don't know about her. We don't know her thoughts, we don't know her feelings. We don't even know her walk with the Lord. We know about her culture. We don't know if she completely you know, believed in this one true God that Abraham's talking about. We don't know what was going on in her heart or in her mind. We know that she went. But there's a lot we don't know about her. And we see a lot about Abraham and we see his intimacy with the Lord throughout um, Genesis. And we see in chapter 15 that Abraham's crying out to God And he's crying about you know, the fact that he doesn't have an heir. Like he has no one except for his servant or his slave. And the Lord comes to him and he tells him, he affirms him, you know, confirms to him that he's going to, um, he's gonna bless him, that his, he's gonna have all these descendants and all this stuff. And there's no record of Abraham taking this information back to his wife. There's no information, but the, you know, Abraham keeps getting all of these, um, these messages from the Lord. And 10 years pass in her identity crisis, 10 years of feeling like a failure, 10 years of feeling like not adding up, 10 years go by. Some of us don't like to wait 10 minutes for something, right? That's why we use a microwave, right? But she waited 10 years. We still don't know her walk with the Lord, but we see her actions here. And this kind of gives us a clue to where she was at because Genesis chapter 16, verses one through two, it says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now this is a formal reference to God. When you look it up in the Hebrew, she's formally referencing him. She's saying he prevented me, he kept me from it. It almost sounds like she's disappointed in the Lord for, for like her current situation, but she is determined that she, she says to Abram, she's determined to do something about it. She's trying to help God here. So she says, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened or obeyed the voice of Sarah. And this backfires big time. She, this was normal in culture. That was a normal solution. Like you give your servant to your husband and then you have children through him. This was a normal cultural reaction. But it was not walking by faith. So we see Sarah trying to take matters into her own hands. I mean, 10 years without a change, 10 years, and I'm desperate for something to happen. So here's my plan, my Hagar plan. You ever been there? Have you ever waited for something and you're like trying to take matters into your own hands because it feels like it's not happening quick enough? But it never works out, does it? And in her situation, it didn't work out. Hagar's status gets raised and Hagar gets a little contentful. I'm sure she was like, yeah, I'm having his baby and you're not, you know? And Sarah, part of her name also, Sarai, meant contentious. And we see her flare up, her anger get flared up a couple times in the book of Genesis, but then she gets mad and she's like, 
mad at you know, Abraham, like I gave her to your embrace, right? And now she's causing me all these problems. And so she deals very harshly with, um, with Hagar, and Hagar goes running off, but the Lord speaks to this servant, right, Hagar, we see um, her encounter with the Lord while she's running away and she's sent back to Sarah. And then um, Hagar has a son, Ishmael. Okay, now during this whole time, we have these silent years of Sarah. But we know her husband has a son from another woman and I really don't think that that child became her child, you know, like that she could, you know, take care of because you can see that the child and mother, you know, they have a close relationship. So this kind of backfired too, and it didn't work out. But we see that Abraham, he's kind of content. He's 86 years old when his son is born. We have this 12 to 13 year silent period of Sarah's life, and we hear a lot about Ishmael. We hear a lot about Ishmael, and, and, and Abraham grows really close to him. And Ishmael's actually a teenager, and then all of a sudden, here comes a word. All right, Genesis chapter 17. God changes Abram and Sarah's name in preparation for what he's about to do. Because sometimes we get defined by our current situation. And God has to come in, and he comes in and he changes our name. He gives us a new identity in Jesus Christ because of what he wants to do in our life and he knows we can't be defined by our past failures or what seemed like a failure. So he changes their names and he changes Abram to Abraham, the father of nations, and he changes Sarah's name to Sarai. It's not a huge difference when you look up the meaning of those words. I tried to find some profound like difference, you know? Before her name meant my princess, now it just means princess. She was always special to God. She was always his princess. She was always part of the promise. But princess is, means you're about to give birth to royalty. And he had to prepare her for what he was about to do. And the Lord appears to Abram. So he's having these you know, encounters with God and it says, Genesis chapter 17, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, she sh you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. Moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed. <laughs> and he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's nearly uh, 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, the Ishmael may live before you. I'll settle for slavery, because Ishmael, resemble, he, he represents slavery. I'll settle for slavery instead of the prom, promised son. Because Isaac is the promised son. Isaac is a representation of Jesus that will come. And the timing of the Lord, she had to wait that time. Because think about how long God's people had to wait before the Savior came. And her waiting, and, she, and Isaac becomes the only begotten son of, of Sarah and Abraham. He's the only begotten son. And clearly, um, we know that Abraham had grown attached to Ishmael, but God said, Sarah will bear you a son, and you call, shall call his name Isaac, laughter. Which is funny, knowing his reaction that he just had. 
And it says, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, the only begotten son of Abraham and Sarah, whom Sarah shall bear to you this time next year. Now, she must have known something was up because like her name changed. You know, if your husband walks in calling you a different name, you know, <laughs> not Sarai, but Sarah, like, what? Who? Who are you talking about? What do you mean, Sarah? Who's Sarah, right? But it doesn't say to us that Abram went and conveyed this vision and this promise to Sarah. It never tells us that in scripture. But then the Lord sends a message to Sarah because he sends some messengers. And they weren't just there for Sarah, but that's the first order of business that they take care of. Abraham is um, there, you know, he, he's by the oak of Mamre and he's um, talking to the Lord and um, then he sees these men coming, these messengers. And um, he, he, they're like right away after they, they prepare a big meal for these messengers. Um, the messengers are standing right outside the tent. So we see Sarah inside the tent. She's doing her business, man. She's functioning. She is broken. She feels like a failure. But she's functioning. She's going through life. She's doing the things that she should do. But there's these silent years. How must it have been for Sarah to watch another woman cuddle her baby, right, thinking that that must be the promise? Maybe God forgot me. Maybe I'm just a second-class citizen in this whole plan, and, you know, this is just how it was supposed to work out. But that's not what happened. So he sends, um, the Lord sends messengers and, and it says that they said to him, meaning Abraham, where is your wife Sarah? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to her about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with her. It seemed hopeless in the natural, impossible in the natural. When she looked at it through her flesh, her ability to do this, it seemed absolutely impossible. And so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? She's laughing. And I, I do this face because it wasn't a laughter of joy. Just like Abraham's laughter wasn't a laughter of joy. There are different laughs we can have, right? Like sarcastic, you can laugh sarcastically. You know, she was, and it doesn't, she wasn't laughing at the Lord. Because sometimes she gets a, a bad rap here, you know? Abraham had the same response that Sarah did. They both laughed, like, you know? And Abraham um, responded the same way, but she's laughing at herself. That's what it says. When you look it up, she's laughing at herself because she doubts that she is going to be able to do what it is that God is speaking over her. This flies right in the face of our culture because, man, you just go on Pinterest and it's like all these ways to make yourself happy, right? All these things, you know, you can like do it yourself. I love those things but they can get me in trouble. I had to take Pinterest off my phone because I try to do too much myself, you know what I'm saying? So, but do it yourself, right? Pinterest. Um, but she's worn out. You know, she's laughing and she's like in disbelief of herself. Lord, you can't do this through me. Like seriously, through me? Do you see this situation? And I am worn out. And worn out, she's broken. She's worn out. She's tired. She's exhausted. She's lived years hearing about this great promise. She's tried to make things happen on her own to no avail, and she's worn out. Now, many of us would want run to the doctor right now, and we'd say, I need help, right? Um, I don't know if you're aware, of, and I'm not saying, I, I'm gonna share a little bit of my story 
because I'm not saying anything bad about doctors, okay? But in a, in, on CBS, they, they wrote an article, and in that article, they were talking about the use of antidepressants in the church. And I'm not saying that, you know, for a temporary time, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not here to promote you going to the doctor or not, but what I am going to say is that I know there's freedom, and, and this 4,000 church congregation in just like an informal, like, like asking, you know, like um, doing a little study informally, almost like half of the people, the women in that church were on some kind of antidepressant. So I imagine that many of us at Sarah's point right now would run to the doctor, like I can't handle this. Like the Lord's giving me this word, have you seen this? Like this is impossible. I'm worn out, I'm tired. I've been functioning like this for way too long. She's in her flesh here, because in the spirit, we don't see things like that. But she's in the flesh, we're gonna talk about that in a minute. So the Lord said to Abraham, why did you laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a son, or a son, a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? So she's also caught up on her age factor. Lord, I will tell you this time next year, I will, the Lord said, I will return to you this time next year and Sarah shall have a son, but Sarah denied it. I think I just messed that up, but you know what I'm saying. She laughed and then she tried to deny it because she got scared because Abraham called her out and said, the Lord said you laughed. Like, why are you laughing? And um, she tries to like say, I didn't laugh. Um, but Abraham and her pretty much had the same message. But God cared enough about her to send that word to her in her moment of desperation to reaffirm that, man, I haven't forgotten you, and that's not your identity, Sarah. You're not just my princess, you're a princess. You're gonna give birth to royalty. You're gonna bring life out of that, that desperate situation. Life is, life is on the inside of you. It doesn't say that God had to come down and like restructure her body. It said it stopped working, right? But she already had a womb. She already had stuff on the inside of her. She already had everything that she needed on the inside of her. But God visits her. We're almost to, we're getting closer to the end of what we know about her in Genesis. But the Lord visited Sarah, Genesis 21.1, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time in which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son Isaac. Laughter. So you tell me who got the last laugh. God did. Abraham was 100 years old when, when Isaac was born. According to the law, he had to be circumcised, so he is circumcised, and he's the promised son. He is the one that God had said, the promised seed. Now, he represents to us Jesus, who will come later. So this whole story with Abraham and Jesus, Sarah, Sarah's story is not even about her. It's about Jesus. You know, where is Jesus in this story? It's all about Jesus and how, um, watch, what he, watch what happens when she meets Laughter, or she meets Isaac, who represents the promised one. She speaks, and it says, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. And she said, who would have said that Abraham and Sarah, or that Sarah would nurse children? Yes, I have borne him a son in old age. This is a genuine laughter. Some of us walk around laughing, and we're not laughing on the inside. 
we're a lot like Sarah because Sarah's story represents to us, I, 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 if you look at her being worn out, you can see those that do not know Jesus, right, because they're worn out and they're trying things on their own and they're trying to, you know, make things happen and all this stuff. Um, but then when you look at it from a Christian standpoint, she's many Christians who are, are walking without faith. They're walking, or not without faith because they have a measure of faith because God gave every one of us a measure of faith, but they're walking in the flesh instead of in faith. And as a result of that, they're worn out. We don't see her spending time with the Lord. We don't see her communing with the Lord. But we know the Holy Spirit's power came upon her because it says the Lord visited her. And everything she needed was already on the inside. But when the Lord visited her, life began to, to, to come from the inside of her. Everything began to come alive on the inside of her. And when she laughed the second time, it wasn't a laugh of sarcasm or, huh, you know, it was joy, unspeakable and full of glory. It was a genuine laughter. And I don't know if you've ever been through something like Sarah. And you don't have to be a woman to go through stuff like Sarah went through, men and women. But I have. As a genuine believer of Jesus, I have gone through darkness where it seems like the promises of God are not coming to pass. But this is the great thing about this story with Sarah is that she was waiting for a promise, but we're not waiting for a promise anymore because the promised son has already come and the promises of God are yes and amen. And I used to sit in a church service and I would shout at that same thing. I would shout and I would praise God and I love Jesus because I knew what he did for me. And the moment I first, I don't know, when we first give our life to the Lord, there's this like, whew, you know, like, whew, Jesus loves me and that's all you need to know, right? But over the years, I started getting worn out. That shouldn't happen, should it? You're in ministry, you're doing good things for the Lord, but maybe, you know, you're neglecting that private time. And you start to little, like little things that you hear, maybe um, doctrines, false doctrines, and not people genuinely trying to share the Lord, they start to put things on top of you. You know, and, and it stops being about Jesus, you know, like Jesus loves me, to I'm gonna help God out, I'm gonna become good, you know? Like, and I would, and, and I don't know about you, but you know, we wanna, be, we wanna become good and God didn't die and he didn't, Sarah's situation is not about her being good, it's about him bringing her to life and there's a difference and so we can even do the good things, the church things, but man, if we're doing it in our flesh and not in the spirit and in our position, as Brother Charles said earlier, our position in Jesus Christ, we get worn out and we'll be at the doctor sitting there having a breakdown asking for some medicine It happened to me, but I'm not on medicine because the power of God changed, it set me free again, you know, like over and over again, doesn't he? He sets us free. You can shout for that, I'm glad, hallelujah. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, it says that the power, that we receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. In John three sixteen, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. In this story, we see a promised seed, which is our Jesus. 
And yes, there's a promise of his future coming, but man, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, when he comes into our life, the Holy Spirit comes on the inside and he brings life to our spirit. He brings life to the inside of us. And on the outside, the promises of God, we already have the fullness of God. We have the promises of God and they're in, on the inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have his healing, we have his joy, we have everything, we have peace that surpasses all understanding. We have everything that we need on the inside and our spirit man is in right standing with God and that's why in a moment, a second, we just turn our attention and we're in the presence of an almighty God. Because he came not to make us good, but to make us live, and we live. And if we're like Sarah, we'll get caught up in the natural, and we'll think we're waiting for something. Oh, one day God's gonna heal me. Man, I know I'm gonna get through this, and God's gonna give me peace one day. Lord, give me peace. God, give me patience. Oh, Lord, give me joy. We pray these unbelief-filled prayers because we don't realize that life is already on the inside of us. And what we should be doing is saying, thank you for that joy, Lord, that rises up on the inside of me. Thank you for that peace that, that floods my heart and floods my mind. What set me free was the simplicity of the Son coming back to the sinner. What will keep us fresh, you, you don't have to just feel clean the day you get saved. And then it's like, okay, well now I need to, you know, do something, like Sarah, I need to do something to make sure that I'm growing, you know, and we should pursue God, that's what we should do, just pursue him and we will grow. Desperately pursue him and we will grow. Desperately pursue him and we will grow. And not to get caught up in um, all the things that are, she was caught up in herself, she looked at herself and she laughed. If we look at ourselves and we put any hope in ourselves, well, we should laugh too because we don't need to put hope in ourselves. What we need to do is realize what's on the inside of us, the life that's already there. And because of that life, I know that the Lord wants to do some amazing things today. And in my journey of just the simplicity, and, and now when I wake up genuinely, I don't feel worn out anymore. I genuinely know my, my standing. And I know we all talk about that, our identity in Christ. And I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting you know, toward the end here we get, we, we, it's just simple, it's just Jesus. You know, it, it's not hard, it's just Jesus. And the promised land is in the future when we go to heaven, but it's also, um, what did Jesus teach us to pray? His, his will on the earth, right, his kingdom come, right, on not just then but now too. And we are powerful because of what lives on the inside of us. Everything that we need is on the inside of us. We're not waiting for anything. And if you feel like you're waiting for something from God today, well, today's the day that you're going to just stand there and you're gonna receive what the Lord has for you. You're not waiting on anything. Now, sometimes we need a, a healing in our soul. One day, I think Pastor Brian even, um, I don't know, I was talking to him about FCA because I helped with FCA at the school. And that day, um, I was just having a really bad day. This was when I was going through like the Lord, you know, just like going through this process of letting um, God's grace just abound in my life. And I was on um, a low prescription medicine at that time. And I had gone through a serious, many of you know, a serious medical, I was in the hospital in ICU for like um, a night and my heart rate was extremely high. I was um, not defibrillated, defibrillated. I think I'm saying that right. But they put a dental card in my IV, which is kind of like, it stops your heart. 
My husband watched my heart stop and then, you know, it came back up, but it was like 177 beats per minute. And I was just extremely um, sick. I had pneumonia and I stayed in the hospital for a week. Many people here visited me, right, and brought me food and took care of me. But man, that was even, that was traumatic and already I was worn out because I was, I was a pastor's wife. Man, I'm, I've been walking with the Lord for this many years. I shouldn't be struggling with this same thing anymore. And I, would, I was caught in um, not allowing the promise of God to just rise up on the inside of me. And I was like, it wasn't registering. The promises of God never register with our flesh. They're contrary. When you're sick and you're whole in Jesus' name, that goes, like, that doesn't seem right. You know, it just doesn't register. But, um, just being, being revived and sitting and in my encounters with God. You won't remember this message a year from now. Some of you will leave here in 30 minutes, you might not. But man, if you encounter the power of the Holy Spirit, you will leave change and you will never, never be the same again. And I don't know who's in this room and I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. I don't care. I've been saved for 13 years. That's not a lot for some people who've been walking with him longer than me, but God wants us strong, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when we are broken in our soul and in our mind, um, then we are not, we're just functioning. We're just going through and functioning just like Sarah was, but we're not experiencing the fullness of what's already, the life that's already on the inside of us. And it's not like you're gonna come up here and, 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 and God's gonna say, oh, you're gonna say, oh, please give me this, no. You're gonna declare what he's already given you. And he's gonna begin to heal your soul. And that's what I'm believing is for soul healing. Our minds are the broken, you know, they're they're what's broken. Our flesh is what's broken. On the inside, we are not broken. And you know how you test if that thing you're struggling with, that thing that makes you feel like a failure, if, if, and this is what our pastor tells us, he's like, when you step over into eternity, if if Jesus took you right now, is it going with you? Is that cancer going with you? Is that financial problem going with you? Is that depression going with you? No. Is that anxiety going with you? No. If it's not going with you, it doesn't belong to you. 